We're here one more Wednesday, going through the Word, right? You guys ready? Leviticus. <laughs> I know sometimes, um, I'm telling you, you go through uh, the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, and, and um, yeah, how often I've heard that, um, you know, it's, uh, it's difficult to uh, kind of go through it, but... I, Every every chapter, and I keep thinking I'm going to go through a couple of chapters. I it's like I think we went did that once, right? Just once we went through two chapters, but there's just so much in each one that we can glean from, that we can see God's character, that we can see His His love, His grace, and how He instructs His people um, from the very beginning, and uh, and it's all uh, because He's He's good, He's good. There's none better than Him. And uh, so he lays this out for us. So this evening we continue through the book of Leviticus. We just have a a few chapters to go. Uh, We have 27, so we're on 24. And uh, the title of this evening's message is God's Word is Certain. God's Word is Certain. Uh, What we see this evening is um, legislation, uh, but we also see a narrative uh, thrown in the midst of it. And then we come back to the consequence of, of, um, of blasphemy. Um, so, but one of the things that we need to understand as we go into the, our text this evening is, um, is why it is that it's there for us today. I mean, God can speak to you. It's amazing how it is as, as we sit and we take in God's word and we sit at his feet. Um, I don't know if you've experienced this, but... I know in, in taking notes and um, the Lord, the Spirit moving, and um, sometimes it's something that is being taught, but the Spirit reminds me of something else that He's at work uh, with in my life, and, and, he, and I have to jot it down real quick. And uh, the Spirit is not limited to the text that we're teaching even this evening. Um, it is through this time sitting at His feet that He could speak to us in different ways and bring up things that we need to be reminded of. So it's pretty amazing how the Lord works. Um, in today's world, everything is debated, everything is questioned and scrutinized, and personal opinion and perspective means something. Even if what we think and do is not logical, it's not right, it's even immoral. Our, and I'm saying our opinion, our opinion absolutely is worth something. But if it's contrary to God's word, really it should submit to and always will surrender to the authority of God's word. But the world in which we live in is a lot like this. According to Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 through 23. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We're doing that today. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. This is what's happening today, is it not? That's exactly what we see going on in today's world. To utter a woe is to utter a warning of condemnation. This is not up for discussion, but stated as a truth. And it's a, an immutable truth of God. It's unchanging. It's unwavering. 
In fact, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Praise God for that. You know, we have a lot of uh, people who, who uh, vacillate, who kind of go with whatever wind of popularity will give them more popularity, you know, and it, people change their minds all the time. But thank you, Lord, that you don't. He is immutable. He does not change, nor does his word. God says what he means and means what he says in his word. Today, many times we regard opinion above truth, though. And we question or deny the existence of absolute truth. There's a disregard for God and his word. We deal with him in a flippant manner. We approach him so lightly, without any real reverence. In fact, we're going to, as we go through our study this evening... We'll see how it is that the priests, the, the high priests, would handle the word or, or the name of God with so much reference. And we're so far from that today. But we need to be right, reminded of that. The point that we see being made here in this chapter is that God's word is to be followed, it is to be obeyed, He is to be trusted. There is safety with God, but without God, without Him, there is destruction, division, And we know that there is even death. Luke chapter 11, verse 23 says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Um, To deny Jesus is to remain in our condemnation. Uh, We're not condemned because of any other thing other than we are remaining in our sin. What God says matters from divine assignments, as we're going to see this evening, and how to carry out individual duties and responsibilities, to God's word regarding blasphemy, as well as civil law and personal responsibilities to each other in the sight of God. God's word is certain. It does not change. And I thank God that we are... There's the law. There's the Mosaic law. But there's also the law of grace. We're under the law of grace. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful that I came to exist during this time. Living in the Mosaic Law must have been extremely tough. Uh, You think about the number of people who were part of the Israelites. I mean, we're talking about at the time that they were delivered from under slavery in Egypt, there were about two million, right? Two million And now, when you take into account these sacrifices that would be going on daily and weekly, and then we have the festivals that we just went over and all of that, can you imagine there would be an ongoing, continual smoke from all the sacrifices going into the air all the time from all the people that were coming? What were there? Something like over 8,000 priests? And uh, and they they, they were all being worked. They were all going through and taking part of what they were called to do divinely. But we're under grace today. But the warnings of the consequences of our disobedience and denial of truth stand in that we will have to give an account before God as to how we dealt with what we knew, what we've come to know. We're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to be accountable to Him. We're going to be held responsible. We know for Christians it will be either for gain or loss in the kingdom of God. It, it, was, it won't be for condemnation, but it'll be either for loss for us or it'll be for gain. For all unbelievers, it will be an eternal judgment to everlasting suffering in the lake of fire. 
along with the devil and the, and the demons. That's not up for debate. That is the truth of the matter, whether you agree with it or not. It is a fact that should drive us to consider what we believe and do. Thankful for God's grace today, salvation known only through Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. Acts 4.12 tells us, right? There is salvation in no one else, for there, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's only through Jesus Christ. And that's God's grace. But God's word is certain. It's immovable. And again, as we look at this evening, we see legislation being being drawn out and the action of God's commands were to be followed through with by the priest, the Levitical priesthood. We also see uh, this evening how it is that we have a narrative of a, a certain gentleman that is half Egyptian and half Hebrew and he is uh, guilty of blasphemy and how it is that they handle that. So we have those two things. So let's pray and we'll get into our text. Father, we... Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you are immutable. Lord, you don't change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't have to guess as we learn the depth of your character. We see who you are in our lives. We don't have to second guess. We can go back to your word and be reminded of how much you love us. The thing by the things that you warn us of and the things that you promise us. Lord, it's amazing just how much you love us. And you demonstrated that by sending your own son to die on the cross in our place. Your word is certain. And I pray, Lord, that we would glean from your word this evening that which you, by your spirit, have divinely set up for us to glean and apply to our own lives, to your glory. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's take a look at the first four verses here, and that is the care of the lamps in the tabernacle. Verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp that a light may be kept burning regularly outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting. Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. It is ongoing, continuous. This is the instruction now that the Lord gives to Aaron through Moses. God instructs, he commands on who was assigned to do what, when, where, and how. And it was very clear. There was, there was nothing that was left to kind of figure out on your own. It was just all the instructions were laid out in detail. And it wasn't up for interpretation or revision by any outside party. You know, depending on the day and age in which we live in. Let's, let's go ahead and change some things up. This is kind of outdated. No, this is the way it was. This is the way it was taken care of and, and uh, followed through with. It was simple. Obey, do, follow through. This is what you are to do. The assignments, well, who was involved? The people were part of it. You see, the people were the ones who were to bring the pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp. 
It was their responsibility. As Aaron commanded them to bring this beaten, pure oil from beaten olives, they were to do so. So he relied on the people. The people brought this oil to Aaron. And so the commandments continued on to succeeding priests through this, though. So although Aaron was the one initially, as we saw in Exodus, that was commanded to uh, initiate this whole process, to start it, it was to be a continuous uh, work. Uh, the, the lampstand was never to go out. It was always to be filled. The wicks were to be trimmed. Everything was to be taken care of. But Aaron was succeeded by many others. And they, were, they all shared in this responsibility. This was a, a beautiful work. A beautiful way of serving the Lord. Again, it's a divine calling. Something that the Lord had assigned the Levitical priesthood to take care of. This was to be done as the Lord had instructed here. Every day, from evening to morning, they were to be tended to. Not that it was to go out or allowed to go out throughout the day. This was the only light that was uh, available within the holy place, outside of the Holy of Holies. It was to be done also, as we read here, all this was to be done before the Lord. This is always... You know, I, I, I was thinking about just serving the Lord. How was that when, when I, and I tell this story all the time because it was such a blessing to come to a place to where I realized personally what it was to serve the Lord. And there was, there's nothing in the world that I had done previously that gave me such like satisfaction, such joy than to serve the Lord. And I remember it was just, it, it was nothing really big. It was something just, in the background that you wouldn't have known, but it was such a blessing. And it's when we realize that we're serving before the Lord. It's, it's unto Him that we're doing these, these things that it brings such a joy. We know that we're serving our Master, our Lord, our King. In the tabernacle, again, this lampstand was the only source of light. It's interesting that Oil is, the, is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if, you, if you're taking notes, you can jot down Isaiah 61, 1, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Matthew 10, 25, and Luke 4, 18, just to name a few. Just to name a few. It's interesting that Jesus Christ is referred to as the light of the world. He makes this reference to himself in John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John again writes about the light of the world in 1 John. It's interesting that we're to let our light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew five sixteen. We are supplied with the Holy Spirit by the Lord. And sometimes the only light that people see is the light that they see in you. It's the Jesus. They see you. I know that that, was, that, that that attracted me. That caused me to ask a few questions. Which then led to my surrender to Jesus Christ. It's amazing how it is that if you live with integrity before the Lord... How it is that 
as you're given opportunity, that that same Holy Spirit that's within you will also give you utterance, will give you words to speak. Although may not be perfect, but they're perfect for that moment. Sometimes we wait until we have it all figured out. You know, Romans wrote, I can't remember it all, but so I can't witness. No, 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 you can witness. You, you can witness about what it is that God did in your life, forgiving you of your sins. You, you've understood and you've received God's grace through Jesus Christ. Because just as Jesus never stopped being the light of the world, so we are never to stop letting our light so shine before men. It's not something that we take a vacation from. We're going to go ahead and stop doing this for a while. No, we should never let, let our lights grow dim. Because it's in continuing to move forward in serving the Lord and glorifying Him that He is glorified. Now, what does that require? Well, it requires a submittal to our high priest of daily filling us with his spirit and a trimming of our wicks, so to speak, which is that sanctifying work that we encounter in various ways in our lives. You know, the trimming of our wicks can be likened to trials and tribulations, testings that the Lord allows to come our way. It's a daily sitting at the Lord's feet and allowing Him to fill us, wash us with His Word and fill us with His Spirit to overflowing. It is evident when we've spent time with the Lord and we go out with great great joy. Not that, and I'm not saying, I know that there are seasons in, in our lives to where we're not too happy about the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But when we allow and we submit to God's work in our lives, what we do is we grow through them. We get strengthened. I mean, James 1, 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God doesn't waste a single thing. And it's during those times that He's working out in you something far greater than you could think or imagine. And yet if you submit to them, you too can be like these vessels to where you're being filled with God's Spirit, your wicks are being trimmed, and your light shining before others. And you'd be amazed at what an impact that makes in people's lives. So that's what we have before us, the care of the lamps in the tabernacle. Verse 5 through 9, we see the care of the showbread. Verse 5, you shall take the fine flour, you shall take fine flour and bake twelve loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf, and you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. The baked bread was to be placed on the table of showbread made of gold inside the holy place of the tabernacle. So as you, you go into the holy place, it would be uh, on the right-hand side. 
is where we would see it. There were to be two piles, so this gives a few more details than we had in Exodus, but uh, we have two piles, six in each, with a total of 12. So there are uh, a couple of different thoughts as far as uh, what this means. Of course, we have the 12 tribes, and um, we see how it is that there's frankincense and the, there's a spread, and it's, it can serve as a picture of God's provision for the 12 tribes. Frankincense was to be placed on each pile, and it's thought that frankincense is an illustration of prayer. And um, all of this together, though, was really a picture of communion, of, of sweet fellowship with the Lord. The bread was to be changed out once per week, and the bread was to be consumed by the priest in a holy place. It was not to be consumed in a common place. Remember that fellowship with the Lord, communion with Him, is never common. It should always be fresh. It's, it's not yesterday's fellowship, as we've said before. It's not yesterday's fellowship that we can hold on to and bring through today. It has to be every day that we come to Him. And we have this fellowship. We understand this communion. And of course, we are to pray without ceasing. We are to pray for not only ourselves, but more importantly for others and for our will to be aligned with the Lord's. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So through that prayer, through that picture of prayer in the frankincense, we know that communion and fellowship of the Lord is always to align ourselves with his will, with his heart, his perspective, his eyes, and how he sees all things. And so meeting with him is not common. It is sacred. It is set apart unto the Lord. And there's a sweet communion, a picture of communion that we have before us here. And this bread speaks of communion with God on the Sabbath, a fellowship known once per week. It's a fellowship that today is known in Christ every day. Every day. It's not, it's not on one specific day. It's every day that we have rest in Christ. And we have this sweet communion with Him. Exodus 25.30 refers to this bread as the show bread, which literally, it's, it's quite amazing what this word literally means. It means bread of the face and gives us a picture of eating in the presence of the Lord or before the face of God. It's an intimate time. That's why as we, as we come to the Lord on a daily basis and we open up our word, I, I hope that we never come in a flippant manner. We don't take it lightly. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is our life right here. This is everything to us. God is our sufficiency, and as we draw from Him and we spend time with Him, it, it, it's a holy time, it's a sacred time. And we should see it that way. We should approach it that way. Communion is a very intimate act. It is the sharing of meals and consuming what is common to both. Um, I was thinking about how I was in the home. You know, we have, sometimes we have these wonderful living rooms. They're really big and spacious. And uh, we even have the dining room. 
that could even be really nice and spacious itself. But where is it that people like to congregate? It's the kitchen. It's the kitchen. That's the place where everybody likes to just lean up against the counter and talk as, as mom or grandma, you know, they're, they're cooking and, and everyone is gathering in there. That's, that's actually the place um, that, is, that is like most intimate as, as everyone's sharing, um, you know, some food and just enjoying that time. It's the kitchen. It's the kitchen. Well, the tabernacle is the location where God met with his people in this day. And it was extremely intimate. Today, we need to be reminded of this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I quote that often. I go to it often um, as I do visit a lot of people in the hospital. Because it reminds whoever it is that is before me, the very fact, the truth of the matter is, is that God is accessible to us. Unlike any of the other false religions that are out there, our God is accessible. He is intimate. He desires to meet with us. And we can, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. And we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Again, it it speaks of this intimacy that the Lord desires for us to have with Him. Now, in both of these commands, these are are, uh, legislative issues for the priesthood. There were specifics that were given for the people and for the priest to follow, and God did not say they were suggestions, and that's how we started, right? But truly were commands to follow. Remember, I also said God is good. He desires the best for each and every one of us. So even this, even through these two uh, commands to take care of the the bread in the tabernacle and making sure that the lampstand is well taken care of, it wasn't just because God wanted to have them do something. It it, It all served a purpose and it was a foreshadowing of what was to come and be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But these were commands to follow. They were not made with consequences in mind before the benefits. They were all together in the same command. We would be deceived and fooled into believing such a lie. That God's character is that which comes from His goodness, His desires for good for each and every one of us. He doesn't think of, it's like um, negative motivation, you know, sometimes, you know, you bring the threat and then you hope that uh, whatever comes after that, they'll do. Um, you know, whether it's uh, within employment or within our home. You know, God, God brings forth the good. And of course, warns of the consequences if these things aren't followed and obeyed. Because He's good. He disciplines those whom He loves. And He is a just God. Even if we don't always see it or fully understand it, he's good. But let's take a look at what happens here, starting in verse 10. This is the issue of blasphemy. Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel, and the Israelite woman's son and and a man of Israel fought in the camp. 
And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shel- Shelomith, the daughter of Debri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. So obviously, they, they hadn't received instructions as far as like, he blasphemed God's name. He cursed. Um, we know he's guilty of it. We'll go ahead and put him away and we'll see what the Lord has to say about it. So they sought the Lord. Now this man we know is half Hebrew, half Egyptian as we see here. Um, By the way, when they left um, Egypt, um, this was something that was pointed out. Um, There was a mixture of people that went with them. Uh, This man got into a scuffle with someone else within the congregation, within um, the camp of the Israelites. And um, he cursed God. He committed blasphemy. And blasphemy is slander, making a false statement, damaging to a person's reputation. So he made a false statement, damaging God's reputation, you can say, his character. And of course, it's impossible to actually do that. But at the same time, remember, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, being ambassadors of Christ. Um, how it is that we can misrepresent God. And the consequences are, are far beyond what we can think of. You know, it's not just for us, but it's also for the people who are seeing uh, and, and receiving um, this misrepresentation of the Lord. It impacts them as well. Oh, how many false teachers are going to be held to uh, a judgment I wouldn't even want to think of. There are a lot of false teachers out there today. That's why it's important for us to continue to sit at the Lord's feet, to know the Word of God so well that we aren't tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We need to know it and know it well and not even misrepresent the Lord. Now, the Scriptures name His mother... And her genealogical line perhaps to serve as a reminder of God's judgment and and basically for factual historical certainty of the matter for future generations. So along the line, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, that family did exist and that is exactly what happened. Now this man verbally attacked the name of the Lord. In ancient times, the name of the person directly correlated to their character. So to attack someone's name was to attack their character and it was taken very seriously. Doesn't I mean there are a few things that really get to a person, but when you attack someone's character, that really causes you to kind of rise up. It's like the hairs go up on the back of your head, right? And you just want to go after someone. Well, this is exactly what was taking place. This man seemed to place the Lord God of Israel on the same level as all of the other gods, you could say, of the very place that they had left, Egypt, or any other. Egypt is a picture, by the way, of the world, as we we look at Egypt. So you can say, he put him on the same level as all of the other gods of the world. That's what he did. Took his name as being common. Now, one of the things that I've come to know is that the high priests revered the name of the Lord so much that they would not write it 
that they would not speak it, but one time. One time as it was being passed from one to another, as it was, the other person was being succeeded. That's the only time. They wouldn't write it down for fear that that piece of paper or parchment or whatever would actually be burned up. And therefore, even in that, commit blasphemy. It was, it was to that level that they reverence the name of the Lord. And today, we're far from it. We know this uh, to be the case today as far as what this guy did. To, to, to treat it lightly, just like any other name. And maybe even worse. When people say, Oh my God. There, a lot of time, I'm telling you, 99.999% of the time, it's not to cry out to God, Oh my God, what is this? It's not. It's just to simply, you know what you could use in that its place? Wow. That's it. Wow. I know I, I um, so I can correct my grandkids. So uh, my, my grandson came over, and he said that. He said, oh, my God. <laughs> Come here, boy. And I sat him down, and I said, you know, I explained to him. I explained to him. I, I said, hey, listen, um, God's name is to be reverenced. And I told him, you know, what you're saying is, what you're saying is you're you're like you're you're in awe you're surprised and the one word that you can use is wow like wow that's amazing can you say that with me and and then so we practiced and he would say wow that's amazing and and it's funny because later on like throughout the day he received it well he understood exactly what i was saying because i was asking do you love god he says yes i love god do you love jesus yes i love jesus well, don't treat his name like something that's common. You know, like an everyday thing. I, said, I told him, just say, wow. That's amazing. And you know what he said for the rest of the day? Jeepa, wow, that's amazing. And that's what he was doing. He learned it quick. The name of God is taken lightly and used to express disgust or astonishment But all is blasphemous, and it's not okay to do, especially for the child of God. Even I I cringe also when um, I hear what comes to mind is this one um, Supercross star, and he always references God with the man upstairs. Like, man, it's like some guy, right? The man upstairs, you know, the big guy. Like, no, 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 no. It, that's, uh, it's, it's light. It's, he's taken lightly, and, and it's not to be done that way. There's no reference that's, that's demonstrated to a holy and righteous God. Why do we lack reverence for a holy and righteous God? I mean, if you think about it. He is holy. He is righteous. He is the creator of the universe. He knew you before you were in your mother's womb. He holds everything together by his power. Why do we treat him 
so lightly. The bottom line is this, because we don't really know him or don't believe who he is, really. That is why people don't hold back from treating him lightly or making the references to him the way they do. It's because if you study the word of God, not just knowing about God, but you study his word and see who he is, you begin to understand that he is to be reverenced. He is to be treated treated with great respect. And you will watch the words that come out of your mouth in reference to him. It's not the same. It's not because he just said, this is blasphemy. It's because in your spirit, there's, it just doesn't feel right anymore. That's why. So this man was guilty of blasphemy. And he was put into custody to wait for God's instructions as to what they were to do with him. And here we go with the penalty of blasphemy. Verse 13, let, uh, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, bring out of the camp the one who cursed and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him and speak to the people of Israel saying, whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. So the man was taken out from among the people, um, out from among the camp itself, outside of the camp. Um, This, by the way, uh, would be a way to make sure that um, ritual purity uh, was maintained for the tabernacle and for the congregation itself. The people who witnessed him blaspheme, were to step forward and testify by laying their hands on this man's head. There was no anonymous hotline available. The people who witnessed it, witnessed it were to testify, were to step forward. And this goes along with what the Lord had said, hey, you need two or three witnesses in order for a person to be found truly guilty of a sin. They were to come forward. You know, you go. Step forward and give testimony of the facts. Be courageous and don't hold back from speaking what you know. The congregation, after he was identified and they testified of his guilt, the congregation was to stone him. The man was personally held responsible and was accountable for cursing and blaspheming God and This was applicable to anyone among the Israelites. Whether you're a sojourner, you're part of, you're you're with the uh, congregation for a short period of time, you're living amongst God's people, you want to benefit from God's covenant, you also abide by God's covenant. Each one was required to revere the God they professed they had faith in. The sin was acknowledged as being against God, but also against the people. The pile of rocks that remained would serve as a reminder of the sin of blasphemy against God. And of course, it's very serious. No swearing by any name, let alone cursing God, is what we know the Lord has 
instructed us, the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. We see it in, in Matthew chapter 5. He said, hey, let your yes be yes, your no, no. That's it. Matthew chapter 5, verses 34 through 37. It's the holiness of God. This may seem drastic, like, wow. He blasphemed the name of the Lord. But we need to be reminded, this is a holy and righteous God. This was a matter of understanding who he was and he was to be revered. And his holiness was reinforced by the drastic penalty prescribed for blasphemy. Now there's, as we continue, there's this um, section here, verses 17 through 22, and then 23 wraps it all up. Um, Of a few ways in which we are limited in our retribution for an offense. Uh, verses 17 through 22 basically outlines not really an eye, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but really a limitation to our vengeance, our personal vengeance. Let's read this and then, and then verse 30, or 23 wraps it all up. Okay, whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given, a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. All right, so don't cross the line with personal vengeance. Because man has a tendency to exact vengeance upon someone else with greater severity than the original offense would warrant. Oh, you struck me? Oh, wait till you see what I do to you. You know, you did this to me? Oh, I'm going to do that to you. And and, and we have a tendency to give back much more than what we received ourselves. Kind of one-up them. The principle of this justice was that it was to be in proportion to the crime and no further. This was it. Our nature inclines us to hurt someone again more than how much they hurt us in vengeance. Jesus condemned this and went a step further. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's what we were talking about, right? Referencing here in this chapter. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You see, it is not the weak in spirit that would offer the other cheek. It is not the weak in Christ that would allow someone to take advantage of them. It is not the ignorant who would go the extra mile for someone who is undeserving. And it is not the ignorant and weak that would give to someone who is in need. If it was the last thing that they had. No, it is the person who is strong in Christ, filled with God's Spirit, and has great understanding that would resist from returning evil for evil. You see, this person would rather experience loss for the sake of glorifying the Lord 
Knowing a personal loss is better than an eternal shame brought upon the name of the Lord. Retaliation is a deception of the enemy. It's a game of lies. And it brings utter destruction. 1 Peter 3.9 says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is where the rubber meets the road right here. You know, the the Lord gave these, these boundaries in Leviticus. The Lord gave them greater clarity In Matthew chapter 5. This is what differentiates the unbeliever from the believer. If you just return good for good and evil for evil. Those who are your friends you love on. And those who are your enemies and persecute you. You treat with contempt. You're no different than the world. We're no different than the world. But when we turn the other cheek when we give the very shirt off of our back, when we give to those who are in need, not saying just be warm and be filled, God bless you, I'll be praying for you, but we actually do something, we give of ourselves. And we don't cross these boundaries boundaries of vengeance, especially in New Testament believers. We do this very thing, we bless others. Oh, that's, that's, that's when people around us see that light See our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Those are the good works that shine brightly in a dark and perverse world. Instead of exacting personal revenge, be strong in the Lord and pray for and bless and seek the benefit of the other person in a more than temporal way. Think about this. We're talking about souls. We're talking about people who are watching, who are observing you, you may gain vengeance for just a little bit of time. It may feel good just for a moment. But it may have an eternal impact on the other person. Or maybe even on people who are watching. Desire that none should perish. And see how it is that you can be a catalyst to accomplishing God's end and not yours. Even if it's at your expense. So the whole point of this is having boundaries for vengeance. Being careful about this. Now again, for us today, we really don't have those options. Because God said, vengeance is mine. We leave it in His hands. We let Him answer. We let Him take care of things. We move on. 
And then in verse 23, we wrap up with this humble obedience. So Moses spoke to the people of Israel and they brought out of the camp the one who had cursed and stoned him with stones. Thus the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. You see, God gave the command with full expectation that it would be done as he gave the command, his word. And the principle here is, do we do what God says even when it is difficult? Even when we don't fully understand, we, do we follow through with his word? <clears throat> Sometimes, you know, as, as parents, it's difficult, and yet it's necessary to bring about discipline in our children. Discipline, as we learned in our study a couple days ago, in the men's study, it, it's training up a child in, in the way they should go. It's, it's a constant tethering of making sure that our children are, are growing up straight, not crooked, not allowing them to, to be tossed around and even being yanked up by the roots, by the world. But it's training up a child. It's being willing to discipline and to admonish and to bring them up. This is all part of the work that the Lord's doing in and through us as well as parents. But as children, we start to understand what it, what it means to be obedient and the blessings that it is and the benefits that come. Maybe we don't understand it at the moment, but later on down the road, we look back and we say, ah, oh, dad was right, mom was right. In this case, we know that even when we don't understand in that moment and we obey the Lord, we take him at his word and we just follow through how we bless him. How it is that we don't misrepresent him. We follow through and maybe one day we will know. That's why. But he doesn't have to show us that. We love him and we demonstrate our love for him by obeying his commandments. So we see this humble obedience here and I pray that it's demonstrated in our lives towards the Lord as well. God's word is certain. Ecclesiastes 12.3 The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Father, again, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, that even as we, uh, we go through this section of Scripture, Leviticus chapter 24, and we see how it is that You instructed Aaron and the Levitical priesthood to, to take care of the lampstand and the showbread and the tabernacle as you spoke to Moses to pass along. How it is that that has application to us today. It's relevant, Lord, to apply to our lives today as we see how it is that blasphemy is, is not something to take lightly. It is serious. Lord, today there is a spiritual death that we know because we have neglected and rejected you. I pray, Lord, that you would breathe life into bones. Lord, that the very life that you breathe into each and every one of us, Lord, speaks words of adoration, of praise, of glorifying you, worshiping you, in not words of blasphemy or cursing. That ought not come from the same mouth. I pray, Lord, that we would have reverence for you. We would love you and we would demonstrate it by the way we live our lives.
And so, Father, thank you for speaking to us this evening. I pray, Lord, that it would resonate in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.